It's one of those stories that you hear, you know, when somebody tells you that story, you're like, damn, son, I'm sure glad that didn't happen to me. You know? <laughs> it's quite, it's quite intense, quite extreme. The, the whole world just turned into pain. This is Jethro Watson, and he is spot on when he says this is one of those stories that we all wish would never happen to us, or to anyone for that matter. It is indeed intense, and pretty extreme. And today, we hear from Jethro what happened to him in 2019. The scene unfolds in Rocklands, one of the world's premier bouldering spots, located just three hours outside of Cape Town in the Cedarburg. But before we go there, Jethro takes us through why he quit his job, and put all his belongings in storage and moved into his tent in Rocklands to climb full time. At, the, at that point, I wanted, I mean, essentially in a, in a sort of an, in, a, in a more abstract aim form, in a dream form, one might say, I wanted to become the best possible climber that I could have become. And I wasn't interested in, obviously I used a grading system to help um, direct that aim and to help motivate it. But I really wasn't interested in what I was climbing in comparison to other people. I wasn't super interested in um, what other people thought of that idea. It was a fairly selfish pursuit in my mind, but I'd kind of made peace with that. Um, and yeah, I just kind of wanted to try and I wanted to try and put as much energy into that singular pursuit as possible and see what happened. Because at by that point, I had already. Um, uh, acknowledged this idea of the like the more I tended to do stuff for the pursuit of climbing, the better those things seemed to work and the more my life improved. And it was kind of like, like it was a magical process in some ways. It was somewhat unbelievable in the sense that, you know, the more, you know, now suddenly I started working in a way that um, helped my climbing. And that meant I needed to get Fridays off so I could go climbing on weekends. So I was like way, way, way more efficient in those other four days of the week towards the end of my career. So even, and my quality of work went up because of that. Like I just had to be so much more on it. And so everything that I threw at this idea was kind of just getting better in a sense. Um, and so I decided to like really go all in. I was like everything. I just want this thing to be the absolute only reason that I, that I kind of do anything in life. And then it became the motivation for just about everything. And going all in started paying dividends. After just a few months of living in Rocklands, dedicating his life to climbing, Jethro started ticking off some pretty impressive boulders. But his pursuit for hard boulders was about to be cut short in an accident that would change his life. The boulder problem that I wanted to do for years and years and years, I saw this American guy on it when I first came to Rocklands and I thought, man, if I could, you know, if I could be, <laughs> if I could ever get to that level, and so I got to that level and I got, I got to that level, like by the time I actually ended up sending that problem, it was a whole grade harder than anything I'd sent before. It was like an exponential, like a push through what, what James Clear calls the plateau of latent potential there. And um, my climbing career just, it just felt like my, my strength and experience was exploding um, after I'd sent Born Into Struggle. And so I was really, really on top of the world. Like I was, you know, this, this life that I'd chosen was, was working. And um, that's, I think, why 
the accident actually happened uh, because I wasn't, I was so happy in a sense and I just wasn't paying enough attention to the world around me. Uh, so the next day we, we woke up and I was with Nick, um, this American guy, Nick uh, Milhausen, and uh, we were going to go out and, and try a high ball that he was uh, climbing like a really high boulder problem. And I was just going to go basically carry a pad and take a camera and take some photos of him. I wasn't really even planning to to climb that day. And uh, we were walking out into sort of an unexplored area. And whilst we were walking, I walked past a boulder that was just about to fall and it fell. And then it crushed my legs. the right leg above the knee um, and the left leg below the knee it fell in such a way that it seemed to uh, sort of like spit out my left leg so that the left leg was like up against the face of this boulder that had fallen onto me and then it pinned my right leg underneath it uh, so that I couldn't move and so I, I called out I sort of did a quick analysis of what was going on and I realized like this is this is a pretty big fuck up and so I reached out I like, called out to Nick and he came over um, we, we sort of he tried to like dig me out which didn't really work um, and then he took my he sort of helped me take the pad off and things and had a look at how he could like if he could move the boulder uh, which he couldn't seem to be able to do. So he sort of dug around a bit more and tried to like move a bunch of things around. I couldn't do a hell of a lot at this stage. I was just massively in shock and just trying to find my breath. And um, eventually he kind of looked at it and thought, there's no way I can get this guy out without moving this rock. So he said, okay, we're gonna, I'm going to try and lift this, this rock and you're going to have to pull yourself out as best you can. Um, and so I sort of scrounged around in the dirt in front of me and found like a little lip on, on the rock that I was kind of lying on. And for by the power of Grayskull or something, I don't understand how, but Nick actually managed to lift that rock enough. I mean, obviously he didn't just pick it straight off the ground, but he managed to lift it, sort of teeter it onto the rock that it was stuck on um, enough that I could actually pull myself forward and out from underneath the boulder. Um, and then he, he helped sort of move me into position he put a tourniquet onto the right leg, uh, not the left leg. I don't even think he he saw in some sense the, the damage that was done to the left leg um, because the right leg was really, he said it was like an anatomy lesson. There was just bones and like, yeah, it was it was pretty gnarly. I mean, I've seen some of the photos of what I looked like and it was pretty insane. Um, and then he, uh, he said to me, look, man, I'm sorry, I can't be here, but I have to go for help. I said, absolutely, you go. And so he went and I was probably stuck there on that mountain alone for an hour and a half, two hours, something like that. Um, and he came back and then uh, shortly, he'd run ahead shortly after he'd come back. The paramedics got to me and uh, I think they gave me some morphine at that stage and tried to sort of secure the wounds and things. I called in a helicopter, which took quite a bit of time, uh, airlifted me up, took me into Milnerton Hospital, stabilized me there. And then they shipped me, they, they 
took me by ambulance to Christian Barnard, which, which is where I met the, the sort of head trauma surgeon who basically saved my life. Um, and she sort of had a look around and, you know, did all of her, her uh, assessments and things and then came to me and said, okay, this is the situation. You're not in good shape. You're really sick. You're about to go into renal failure. Um, and we need to, we need to put you under right now to, to amputate your right leg. It's already dead. And, uh, that dead tissue is, is that toxicity is basically killing you right now. So we need to get rid of that right leg. She said, we are going to try and keep the left leg for now. We're going to try and like clean it out a little bit to make, to make sure it doesn't get infected and stuff. But we're going to try and keep that. We don't know if we're going to be successful there. We also can't like guarantee you that this is like, you're going to be okay in a sense. We don't, we don't actually know at this point. Um, so they put me under, I had to, I had to kind of sit there and make some peace with, uh, or lie there in, in pain and shattered with my shattered legs and make some peace with the fact that this might be the last time I'm conscious and, uh, yeah, wheeling into that, into that theater room like that was quite interesting. Um, so anyway, they put me out and they amputated the leg and, uh, luckily I recovered really well. I think the, the main reason that I lived through that whole exercise was the fact that I was so fit, like my body, and especially in terms of climbing, it's a, it's a heavily carbon dioxide rich sport for your muscles. Your muscles get very, very full of lactic acid, which is essentially carbon dioxide buildup. And my carbon dioxide levels and lactic acid levels were off the charts when they put me under. And I think my body was just really used to dealing with that. And that's the only reason I actually survived that. Um, they did say when they put me under my blood pressure fell through the roof and, uh, they actually had to start like manually, uh, injecting me with like a big syringe just to like boost volume pressure. Um, and obviously they use a whole bunch of, uh, drugs and things to restrict your veins and all this kind of stuff to boost your blood pressure. But they say it was, you know, I didn't never need to kind of be resuscitated or anything, but it was, it was close. Like it was fairly close. Um, and so, yeah, after that, there were three weeks in ICU where they, <clears throat> for the first two weeks, basically, week and a half, they sort of struggled in a sense to be able to tell me if they're going to be able to save the left leg. Um, and then after about a week and a half, they said, yeah, okay, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to keep it. Uh, it's, it's sort of, we've, we've got a whole bunch of specialists involved and uh, how we can regrow the bones and how we can fix the knee and all of this kind of stuff. And the spec, you know, with all the, the advice of the specialists, they think that you can get some functionality out of it because it's useless keeping it one limb. If you, if it's a dead stick, you know, then you'd rather be a double amputee. So there was a whole lot of that going on as well. You know, would I become a double amputee? Would I regain a leg and how much, um, mobility would I, you know, and functionality would I have out of that leg? Um, so that was the, the three week ICU thing. Um, I then went for another surgery to put this, uh, steel cage around my leg, a whole bicycle spoke system. They call it Taylor space frame, quite interesting stuff. I had that surgery and then I went into like hospital rehab for six weeks, which was really intense. I mean, it was the first time that I'd been out of a hospital bed for about seven weeks or something. It was the first time I'd sort of in the rehab when I sort of transferred into a wheelchair and I could, I could finally take a shit in the toilet again and not use a bedpan. That was like one of the worst experiences of hospital for me was using bedpans and having nurses wipe your ass. That's just not something you ever want to go through. 
uh, it's really not good. So that was, you know, the, the rehab was then quite liberating in that sense because suddenly, you know, when you're in the hospital, doctors are making decisions for you. You don't really understand the process. You don't really understand what's possible, what's not possible. You're very much strapped into this roller coaster ride. And, you know, it's not, nobody's really telling you to sort of get up and go. They're just, it's just trauma, 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 trauma. And, you know, get him out of the trauma system. And then he's somebody else's problem. And so by the time you hit rehab, there's this, this sort of pace change where, you know, the, I was in rehab the first day and the physio said to me, like, why haven't you been out of bed yet? And I was like, okay, that's different. Like these people aren't here to, to make decisions for me. Like, you know, they, they, they want some proactivity. And so that was good. So I could get back on it again in the rehab as difficult as that was and as painful as that was. And with obviously all the psychological problems that I was facing, um, at least it was good to kind of, you know, get, get on it a little bit again and, and actually get my body moving to, to some extent, you know, um, and then rehab progressed and I was starting to stand a bit more. And then we got in touch with the prosthetists and started that rather long journey of getting a prosthetic for me because of the left leg, because it, essentially I could only progress as fast as that thing healed. And that thing had a lot of healing to do. And, uh, yeah, then 20, 2020 in level four lockdown or whatever, I went for the first knee surgery, which uh, was to reconstruct the, uh, what they call the posterior um, corner, the back the posterior corner of the knee, which is essentially the top of your fibia, um, which, which is bound, the fibula is bound to the tibia with some connective tissue, which had got completely destroyed. So they had to use part of my tendon from my ankle to, to connect those two back together so that my leg didn't just like split open in a sense. Then they had to connect the tibia to the femur, which they used the same uh, ankle tendon to. And they did that in two separate spots to give it stability. They then took um, uh, part of my patella tendon and used that to reconstruct the ACL. And that was the first knee surgery that I had. Couldn't bear weight for six weeks again, whereas I had been bearing weight before and my muscles were, were starting to develop again. So six weeks of atrophy is a lot. So I was basically back to square one on, on leg rehab in a sense. Um, so got, got back up to standing and slowly got into using the prosthetic again and so on and so forth, uh, using a knee brace and things. And then at the beginning of last year, I had my last knee surgery, which was the, uh, they put a synthetic ligament on the inside of the knee um, to replace that one, which is damaged. So the only one out of the four ligaments, four main ligaments, all the minor ligaments, I think were wrecked, but all out of the four main ligaments, I only have one. That's my own natural ligament there. We're taking a quick break to share a message from our partners, Gone Outdoor. Instead of going public, Patagonia's gone purpose. Yvonne Chouinard has announced his outdoor apparel company's new and only shareholder, Earth. Instead of extracting value from nature and transforming into wealth for investors, Patagonia will use its wealth it creates to protect the source of all wealth. Giving away the maximum amount of money to people who are actively working to save this planet. To find Patagonia gear in South Africa, visit Gone Outdoor in Cape Town and Joburg or online at www.goneoutdoor.com.
so how long were you laying there for? And and like obviously when the rock hit you, you say you're in shock. So you weren't feeling pain initially. That's that's not true. <laughs> unfortunately, unfortunately, that's not true. <laughs> pain became my whole world. Hey, there was nothing, nothing, nothing else in the world except pain. Yeah. At times, my mind sort of broke through that, and and there were there were thoughts of will I walk again? Will I live? Will I climb again? Frustration, uh, fear, these kinds of things, but. To a large extent, like uh, the pretty much the only thing that I had was pain. Like there were sort of bursts of my of my psyche kind of coming through and being somewhat semi-rational in between that, but the the whole world just turned into pain. Yo, I, like I'm just imagining being your friend trying to communicate with you and move this rock, and you are you like you are just in pain. Like yeah. and decisions have to be made. Look, we're, we are remarkable beings, you know, we are, we're capable of operating in very extreme circumstances, I mean, apparently. And that, you know, it, in the beginning when that, when that all happened, I mean, for sure, I was flooded with adrenaline, obviously, and, and, but there was, there was no, no mistaking the pain. The pain was, you know, the pain was front and center in a sense. But you have to do things, you know, you can't, you can't just sort of sit there like a, like a whining you know whatever you got to do things there you know you can't just give up and and be like ah i'm in pain or something you know so the fact that i was in pain at that point didn't really matter like it wasn't you know although it was it was clouding my world like that it didn't really matter there it was really once once we got me out and moved me around and he put a tourniquet on like that's when i that's when i went just went inwards And, you know, he, he, he left and all of that happened in, man, that, that must've been minutes, 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 like a few minutes. Like it was, it was fast and hard stuff. We didn't sit there and have a smoke and talk about how we should fix this problem. You know, it was, it was hard and fast stuff. Um, and I think obviously for him, he was pumped full of adrenaline too. How he managed to lift that rock. I just, I just don't understand. Um, and he, and him as well, you know, he's, I've, 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 sort of said to him, you know, how the hell did you do it? And he said, I, I don't know. I just lifted it. You know, it was just, it was just necessary and I did it. Um, so yeah, that was really hard and fast, but it was once he sort of left me that, that, you know, I was chilling there by myself and now I had some time to chill with this pain, you know, and that's all that there was. There was just this pain. Um, and I could, I could feel, I could f in a sense, feel my psyche just being fractured apart in some sense by the pain i mean in in looking back on it it was obviously not the physical pain that was breaking my psyche apart but the, this very real event of losing my legs and my dreams and things um but at that point yeah it was just pain pain was just completely overwhelming <clears throat> are you able to climb again in any way or uh, no and not no no I mean, potentially I could climb a top rope something, but like, really, that's not why I climbed, you know, climbing was the reason for me to live in a sense, and it's not anymore. And I don't necessarily know that it's going to be beneficial for me to try and make it again. Apart from anything else, the left, like I, I could maybe get a prosthetic that I could use for climbing. There's certainly tech, and I would certainly be keen to kind of explore that. 
if I had a left leg, a, a biological leg that could support that, but then the left knee is just too destroyed. Like it's really like if you think of yourself stomping your foot on a on a mat to get sand off of your shoes. I can't do that. It's too painful. So like the 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 amount of power and tension, you know, twisting impact that I can put through this knee is very, very limited. Like I can really just walk around statically. I can't even run. Um because it's it's too painful, and then the repercussions are, are pretty big too. You know, if I go for a big big walk, then tomorrow I need to I need to make sure that I have space to have a down day. I need to make sure that I don't I don't have commitments to go out, or I can just sit and do stuff on my computer or something like that. So that's quite quite challenging in terms of the physical aspect. A lot of people have a perception that climbing is dangerous, or this like it's the outcast of sports of people that are willing to put their whole life on the rope, like. Um, they, like in the meantime, like a huge part of it is so calculated and safe and, and accidents are not that common, um, in comparison to other sports. So I'd, I'd love to hear like your opinion of, of the safety of climbing. I think we have to, we have to look at our lives and, and ask ourselves this question, do we want to be safe? It's like, do you? Do you really want to be safe? What does that mean to you? That means living inside, you know, a, a cozy four walls and never going out of your comfort zone and never experiencing life, never experiencing new cultures or getting on an airplane to travel because it might crash or, you know, all of these kinds of things. And I think, to be quite honest, our, our culture places an overly high importance on the idea of safety. This idea of safety and comfort, um, we seem to kind of think we have a right to it in some ways and I think it's dangerous because they're just it's not conducive to hero making in my mind we don't go and explore ourselves and explore the world and come up against challenges and measure ourselves and understand who we are and what we can do in this world and so if you know if people in that regard are going to come up and say well climbing is a dangerous sport and people shouldn't engage with that I'm going to say well cool you don't you don't engage with it. You stay there in your safe little compound and let us who actually want to go out there and explore and live, you know, go to, to go to the woods, you know, as, as Trudeau said, let us go and do that. Um, I think there's, there's danger in everything we do. And if you're in the process of exploring life and, and engaging with more dangerous, risky behavior, you're, you're opening up rewards for yourself. I think you're opening up knowledge and self-knowledge and, you're actually doing something that's hard and dangerous, which is, you know, how our society, I think, was established in the first place, this continuous struggle against this dangerous world. Again, it's, you know, it's like Fight Club. You choose your own level of involvement. You can, you can climb uh, short overhanging boulders and fall onto your mat onto pads. You know, you like, you will, you will most likely not get injured that way. Uh, you can do sport climbing in such a way that you can make sure that you climb only popular routes that are easy, which have been cleared of choss and the bolts get checked and stuff. You, you know, maybe you bust an ankle or something. And, you know, you could wear a helmet to mitigate hitting your head or something. There's very safe ways to do climbing. Lots and lots of safe ways to do climbing. You know, you could be ballsy and go and do, uh, you know, dawn wall or something. Uh, solo, solo dawn wall like Tommy or something. That's that's not safe, man. 
that's not safe. It's like, it's definitely not safe. But then we look at someone like that who's not being safe and pushing the boundaries of what's humanly possible and we applaud him. You know, and then some people still sit there and say, oh, but we shouldn't go climbing because it's safe. It's like, no, nah, I don't, I don't not, I not, I don't buy it, you know. I suppose it's also relative. Um. It's all relative, you know. And, and it, it is, you know, you do choose your own level of involvement. How, how much risk do you, do you feel like you're willing to take? There, the way I climbed, ironically, was very safe. I wasn't key. I never tried it. I did try it once, which is traditional climbing where you place your own protection, which just seemed madly terrifying to me. And I just wasn't interested in that at all. Um, I never climbed any particularly dodgy sport routes. Well, one or two, which some, you know, sometimes the falls would have been bad or something like that. But by and large, it was all really solid, safe climbing. I always had good practices for cleaning routes and all of this kind of stuff. I had good practices for uh, checking before climbing that knots were all good and having knots in the end of your rope, all of this kind of stuff. I used to do all of that. Um, I just didn't expect to get hit by a rock, you know. So I'm I'm interested to know like why why are you back um, in Rocklands and and what are you doing there at the moment? Uh, this land called me. That's that's about as as succinctly as I can say it. I don't understand how that that was or or, or the process there, but for some reason this land calls to me. Um. I obviously, I say obviously, a lot of people have commented on this, but I obviously wanted to come back here after the accident. I wanted to face the dragon of coming back here and um, and overcoming that. And whilst I'm still in a sense doing that, I, I have I have really faced that and come back to this land and come back to to walk around in the mountains here and walk around where you, where I used to climb, go and touch and feel problems that I've climbed before and problems that I never sent. And uh, to come and experience a season here uh, and watch other people get psyched about climbing and and go out and crush and come back to you know to the campsite to the bar and be like yes I sent my project you know to to see that kind of enthusiasm was was hard but also you know cathartic in a way um, to try and sort of face that so that was one of the reasons I came back here. Um, like I say, also this land has has called me, um, and hopefully there's hopefully there will be a an opportunity here for me to make something in this land, to to give back to this land in a way to to help shepherd it uh, for for generations of rock climbers to come. That's that I think is probably it's taking shape as one of my sort of main main aims in life now. Um, now that I'm I've moved away from chasing eight A. <laughs> that seems to be to be a reasonable calling um, that's that's resonating strongly in my life is to try to uh, you know help help shepherd this land in some way and create and to, to 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 keep it as a space that can that can help other people have a kind of similar experience to what happened to me you know because this this rocklands here in Cedarwood was instrumental in that in chasing climbing and and that embodied feeling of meaning you know going going on an adventure going from Pretoria driving down, you know, like a, a whole day and kind of thing with, with uh, you know, have you got the right gear and have you, you know, prepared enough? Have you trained enough? You go on these adventures, these climbing trips or these 
you know, adventures that call to you to try and better yourself. And I think that's fantastic. And that's kind of, I think, where what I'd like to try and do here is to try and, you know, shepherd the land in some way to, to make it work for generations to come to, to, create a, to create a place where people can come and experience those journeys. What you're doing in climbing is what you're doing in life. The one you're doing with your fingertips, the other one you're doing with your psyche. But it's not clear where that boundary is. It's not clear what your psyche would be like if you didn't have fingertips. It's not clear what your fingertips would do if you didn't have a psyche. So what you're doing there is the same thing. It's harder for me because I don't get to pull on the rock with my fingertips anymore. And that state of bodily movement and flow was that there's no better drug in the world, if you ask me. But the, the process is the same. You're, you're exploring, you're trying to find life. You're trying to have an experience of life, of a very, very high quality experience of life. And the only way you can do that is to earn it. You've got to be out there and you've got to explore and take on risks and push through difficult things and train and have dedication and consistency. And that allows you to have these very, very high quality life experiences. And it's no different for me now. I just have to direct that energy into different areas. And so I'm exploring, I'm exploring what those different areas are. They're not going to be climbing anymore. Yeah, they're going to be, they're going to be trying to explore how to, how to curate this land, this, this powerful place. How do we harness that power of this place and use it to heal people and to, to get people to be psyched for life. Jethro's story moved me, and I'm sure it touched many of you, and I'm sure you'd all like to join me in wishing Jethro all the best as he explores his new world and ambitions in Rocklands. But before we go, we'd like your help. We'd like your help to share Keeping It Wild far and wide. Some of these stories are so amazing that it almost feels selfish not to share them. So go on, share it with your friends and family, on social media, or wherever you communicate to your adventure buddies. We'd really appreciate it. Keeping It Wild is a podcast produced by Telltale Media and hosted by me, Blake Dyson. Till next time, keep wild and keep wild.